0: Hi my name is Dr. Mark Allendary and I'm an infectious diseases specialist in New Orleans
1: Hi my name is Doc Griggs and I'm a community medicine doctor and health literacy expert This is the Noise Filter Podcast where an infectious diseases physician That's me and a health literacy
0: and communications expert That's me talk about what you need to know about COVID-19 You can find more information about this show and our other daily live updates and Q&A show at noisefiltershow.com. So let's get started. Making the vaccine yet not receiving it. So we've looked closely at inequalities within our borders, but now let's look abroad now, specifically to South Africa. Doc?
1: So apparently there's a factory there that will create millions of vaccines that will probably be shipped out to European and other Western countries. What? South Africans themselves aren't expected to see doses until mid-year, according to the New York Times. Mm. Many high-income countries ignored warnings and had poor planning, yet still have advantages because of... Drumroll, please money
0: where Uh, the money reside where the money
1: reside that's right where the money reside where the money reside
0: though South Africa is not as wealthy as countries like the US they are considered too wealthy to qualify for discounted vaccines from organizations less wealthy countries rely on COVAX it's an international health collaboration to help lower income countries balance inequalities health advocates are concerned about relying on COVAX however there is no guarantee which vaccine you will receive or when and it is a pay up front system
1: South Africans' only hope is to volunteer in clinical trials, but that comes with its own set of concerns. South Africans have supported current trials and manufacturers, yet received no guarantees there either. They couldn't pre-order doses like wealthier countries. On top of this, it's very, very difficult for many families there to social distance because of the same thing, Doc. It all goes back to the dollar. I was joking. But I was not joking, it's where the money resides. That's right. Disadvantaged students and learning. Researchers say the achievement gap in school is increasing. Oh no. Yeah, Doc. Sadly, they say it's partly due to disadvantaged people being more likely to engage in remote learning, which is considered less effective.
0: Huh. Now, Columbia University found that 58% of non-white students relied on remote learning versus 36% of white students. These communities often do not have the resources financially, technologically, and physically to support remote learning. And those with learning disabilities are even at a bigger disadvantage. This pattern can be explained by
1: geography and family choice. The New York Times reports that these families tend to live in big cities where social distancing is more emphasized and don't trust the school systems to follow the necessary precautions. Some experts are advocating for schools to reopen to mitigate inequalities in the education system
0: against low-income communities. Yeah, one nonprofit research group estimates that continued closures will cost students a third of their expected reading progress and half of their expected math progress. On the other hand, these communities are often more affected by the pandemic due to social issues. Regardless, these students and their families are at a disadvantage no matter what route taken. And again, it is so important for us to make sure that we are constantly looking out for those that are more vulnerable than us because the rising tide lifts all ships.
1: COVID Grief Network offers support to young adults in mourning. Mm. This is going to be rough. Yeah. For each COVID-related death, sociologists estimate that there are nine people close to them who experienced that loss. We talk about all the time that the numbers aren't just numbers. There are people attached to them, families, friends, and grieving loved ones. This means that now, with roughly 308,000 recorded deaths in America— 2.7 million Americans have grieved or are grieving the loss of someone close to them due to COVID-19.
0: The families are left to grieve in new socially distanced ways. That's right. A group of therapists, chaplains, and community organizers created the COVID Grief Network in order to aid young adults who've experienced loss due to COVID. Now, this network is a mutual aid organization that connects people in their 20s and 30s with volunteer grief workers that provide guidance and support. Those interested in matching with a grief worker can do so by filling out a request form on their site, which is covidgriefnetwork.org.
1: COVID Grief Network's volunteers come from a variety of backgrounds. Some are mindfulness experts, some are clergy members, some are grad students in fields like social work. Because they're volunteers from a variety of fields, the COVID Grief Network is offering support for those grieving a loved one, but their services are not therapy or counseling.
0: That's right. Now, according to Meta Health, those looking to overcome the physical barriers that may impede the grieving process in the wake of a loss should consider utilizing technology to replicate the normalcy and prioritize joy. They suggest planning a virtual celebration of life for those lost over Zoom, where people can share stories and sing songs in memorial.
1: The COVID Grief network status as a mutual aid organization means that all their resources are limited. While they understand that grief due to COVID can extend beyond loss of life and that many demographics are experiencing loss, they want to limit their offerings to young adults grieving deaths so that they can provide the most effective support. Because of this, they ask that those interested only request support if they fit their criteria. COVID brings watershed year for virus transmission research. At the beginning of the year, not much was known about how COVID-19 was spread. Diseases that were normally considered airborne, such as measles, fit a narrow definition. That is, strictly those diseases that can be transmitted through small particles called aerosols.
0: Right, then the advent of COVID-19 has advanced the general understanding of airborne transmission, and it has thrust researchers in the relatively niche field of viral transmission into the spotlight. Initially, COVID was not thought to be airborne as respiratory viruses were assumed to be transmitted through droplets of mucus or saliva after coughing and sneezing. And droplets are a lot larger, and those aerosolized particles are a lot smaller. And we had no idea initially that COVID fit that description. In other words, it could be transmitted on these very, very, very small particles that we refer to as being airborne. So that's why there was so much public health messaging centered around washing your hands and avoiding touching your face. Yeah, and these things are always effective
1: and important for hygiene and health. They are. But are especially so for droplets that may only travel a short distance. That's right. As time went on, researchers, such as Virginia Tech's Lindsay Marr, found that COVID-19 transmission seemed a lot more like airborne transmission. I agree. It turned out that the delineation between aerosols and droplets from respiratory viruses is not as clearly understood as we initially thought.
0: Now, at short ranges... Especially, droplets often brought smaller particles with them or evaporated into smaller drops that lingered in the air. We refer to those as now being airborne. Now, researchers noted to NPR that they learned more about the disease in 2020 than is known about some viruses that have been around for decades. They also noted that there's a relatively high burden of proof for defining COVID's transmission compared to how other viruses that are generally considered to be airborne.
1: Yeah, the high burden of proof is likely due to a schism between the worlds of science and media, where the public is made aware of scientific developments almost immediately. Uncertainty in scientific circles is indicative of a time needed to study and confirm. We need time to think and process. That's right. The contrast is that journalists and other media tend to extrapolate that uncertainty into absolutes in their reporting.
0: So, for example, researchers working with COVID vaccines are uncertain to the extent by which vaccination will prevent transmission. In many smaller news outlets, this has become incorrectly taken to mean that the vaccine will not prevent transmission at all. And that's why we're here. Shows like Noise Filter try to meet a unique need in this regard with respect to transmitting information.
1: Yeah, (laughs) we do the best we can.
0: That's right. Just as a reminder that COVID-19 and the human immunodeficiency virus do share the same risk factors. Doc Griggs? Thanks for listening to the Noise Filter Daily Podcast. Dr. Derry and
1: I have a daily show at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time where we go into more detail on stories
0: and answer your questions about COVID-19. You can find Doc Griggs at docgriggs1 on social media and you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at drdery. You can follow us at NoiseFilter on Instagram, Noise NoiseFilterNola on Twitter, and for more information about us and the show, you can go to NoiseFilterShow.com. Hey, Doc Griggs, any last words? Remember, get checked,
1: get fit, get moving. And remember to get some rest to boost your immune system. And Doc?
0: Protect yourself and others by staying home, and please wear masks when you go outside. Remember, health is a human right.